Hello everybody, my name is David Keck and this is Surviving Abuse Podcast. going to be the first for the show. We're going to be talking about a crazy topic, and I have um, Kiana with us, who you all know from the race uh, episodes, and I have Bailey with us. Now, Bailey has been recording with Kiana and I on some documentaries, but those haven't been released yet. This, um, I'm going to kind of ride the coattails of other podcasts and, and call this an emergency episode. And there's a lot of other podcasts doing emergency episodes with this to get it out because it needs to be discussed. So don't let that confuse you when the other episodes of Bailey comes out and I'm talking like you met her for the first time ever. And then we also have one of our friends with us. Kelly. Hello, Kelly. Hello. Thank you for being here. So we have been talking about you coming from at the Christmas party. You probably don't remember. And <laughs> uh, and finally, you're here. I would like to preface, uh, and I'm going to have a, a, a lot of prefaces, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, <laughs> but my first one is that I do not have a uterus. And, oh my um, God, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I wanted no to fill the room with people that did. And so if that gives you a little insight of what we're going to discuss today. But before we do that, Aileen. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Why me? Why did you single me out? Because <laughs> I already asked her. <laughs> and then now I'll ask Miss Kiana, how are you? I am doing all right, everyone. I hope everyone else is having a gleeful day. It is such a pretty day and I feel like the conversation that we're about to have is going to be all over the place and I hope that we can end on something pretty and beautiful. (laughs) We, Kiana, what are we discussing today? So today we are going to talk about Roe v. Wade and so what I thought that we would do is actually just give a brief overview of what happened with Roe v. Wade. I know that most individuals know that Roe v. Wade, it's our abortion laws, but do you do you actually know how it all came to be and what was actually argued in order for, for those abortion rights to exist? So I want to give a few little fun facts on where we were in January 22nd of 1973. So the number one song was Superstition by Stevie Wonder. Very superstitious. I had that song's been in my head all day. <laughs> The number one movie is about a New Year's Eve celebration and a shipwreck that oh, took place Poseidon. during that time. Poseidon! Poseidon. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> oh, love that movie. And the remake is amazing. Oh, I didn't know there was a remake. So that was the number one movie. And um, and I thought it kind of flowed well with this because I think what we're going to be talking about is the shipwreck of our country, country right now. Um, the president in 1973 was Richard Nixon. Minimum wage was $1.60. So it yeah. feels like more than we make right now. <laughs> and most importantly, in 1973, Reba McIntyre graduated high school oh and enrolled in Southern Oklahoma State University with a major in elementary education and a minor in music. Always Reba. <laughs> I will always find a way to bring her in. So with that being said, Kiana... The United States is in the process of taking us back 50 years. So the stage is yours. All right. So <laughs> let's talk about uh, what happened um, pre-1973. So we're actually going to start back a little bit further just so that you kind of get a little bit of a background on Sarah Weddington, the attorney who actually went before the uh federal court system in order to argue the case for Roe v. Wade, okay? So Sarah was an actual law student um, at the um, University of Texas in Austin. She actually found herself pregnant pre any abortion laws. She had actually went to Mexico, got an illegal abortion because it just didn't suit her life at that point. She was one of the few women who was actually trying to achieve um, education um, under a law degree, and she just wasn't ready for it, right? So her and her husband, who also, his name is Ron, who was also studying law, just decided that this just, I mean, it wasn't the time. So they went off to Mexico. I will say the time that they went to go get an abortion, it was also illegal in Mexico, but you had doctors who were willing to look the other way. Flash forward, she gets her degree. One of the few um, back in those days who actually made it through to get her law degree, she had a hard time finding actual work. Um, just because at that point, you know, women just weren't seen as lawyers. I mean, it's just, you know, so she had a hard time uh, finding work. She did find um, eventually some work with the American Bar Association. During that time, she kind of got in with what they call a consciousness group. This was a group that was thinking about abortion laws already. They were thinking about other types of um, rights that they felt like may have been infringed upon. There was a newspaper that went out called The Rag. The Rag? Excuse me. Yes, The Rag. That's what it, that was what it was called. Um, but within that underground paper, they kind of started becoming a place to do underground advisement, so to speak, on where women could get abortions, right? So Sarah at the time did not really, she claimed she didn't really do anything illegal, but she did do a lot of research for the group um, to find out where were places that women who were in search of an abortion could go get one legally. So that's kind of what her role was. Now, she eventually started researching further and she felt like the law that was in Texas at the time, which was you could not get an abortion. Um, I do think there was an exception for um, the health of the mother. Like if the mother's health was in danger, you could. Um, but outside of that, it was illegal. But she felt like that the law could be challenged. Now, problem that they were having, however, was that you can't just willy-nilly get in front of these judges, right? You can't just go say, hey, 
my theoretical, you know, friend over here feels like if she gets pregnant, she should want to have an abortion. You can't do that. You actually have to have a real plaintiff um, in order to get in front of the courts to, to bring these type of things up. Now, they knew plenty of women who wanted to get abortions. I mean, they were, again, they were had become an underground place for them to advise women on where to get one. The problem was, is A, they didn't know how long it would take to get to challenge the law, right? If they were going to overturn the current laws, they didn't know how long that would take. If you had women who already had the money to do so, it was in their best interest just to go ahead and get the abortion. So they were having a hard time actually finding someone that they could use as a plaintiff. Some of the individuals apparently had even volunteered to get pregnant just so that they could be a plaintiff, but, you know, they decided, okay, maybe that might be frowned upon. Maybe we shouldn't do that. There was another um, lawyer, her name was Linda Coffey, who was in touch with an adoption attorney. And through that adoption attorney, they found a young lady by the name of Norma McCorvey. Okay. So just so that everyone knows, Norma McCorvey is the plaintiff in Roe v. Wade. She became known as Jane Roe. So that's where it comes from. Jane Roe is not a real person's name. It's a pseudonym for Norma McCorvey. Well, and what I also learned that I thought was pretty interesting is there was another case happening, I think, in another state where there was already a a, a Jane Doe. Correct. So that's when they had to do the Jane Roe. Well, so um, in Georgia. um, And so the, the... these cases actually kind of have ran um, concurrently to each other. And once they got in front of the federal court system, they were known as the abortion cases. I will say that Georgia was, even though this was being challenged in Georgia right around the same time, Roe v. Wade overshadowed it. And I think part of the reason that it overshadowed it is because even though Georgia had an abortion law, there were more provisions for individuals who were raped um, then there was in Texas. Texas only had the one. It's like, okay, if there's a chance that the woman may die in birth, then okay, maybe we'll think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Georgia, I mean, and don't get me wrong, not that Georgia's, um, you know, you couldn't just go and get an abortion for no reason, but there was possibility if you were raped that they may allow an abortion to take place. Um, another thing that I thought was pretty interesting is, and forgive me, I'm horrible names. What was the attorney lady's name? Whether Sarah Weddington. Weddington. I want. I always want to. I always want to say Weatherton. <laughs> um, but she, I heard her in an interview stating that the reason she was having such a hard time finding work is people were saying and companies were allowed to say you're going to end up pregnant. And that's why she was not able to find it work. Well, I mean, it, it was the 70s. It is a different time. I mean, we were still living some of that out in the 80s where it was okay in interviews to ask if you were planning on having children. Like, mm-hmm. those things were still allowed to be asked then. Um, there is a wonderful movie um, that my mom wore out, dear God, that was uh, made in the 80s called uh, Baby Boom. And it follows Diane Keaton's character, who is, you know, a woman in the 80s who, you know, she has decided she wasn't having children. She's just going to be this power figure. But, you know, she ends up inheriting a child, basically. And her boss immediately is like, WTF, like, what does this mean? Like, you can't have a baby. Like, you know, that's the way that things were looked at. So, wow. um 
And while I guess the 80s are getting further and further away from us, they, when you look at it um, over time, it's really that time period wasn't is not that far off. So, right. Um, but anywho, um, back on to uh, Miss Sarah Weddington um, and um, Norma McCorvey. So enters Norma McCorvey. She at the time had poor thing, uh, this poor woman. So she was pregnant for a third time. She did not want to have this child. She was a divorcee. Her first child, her mother had basically um, ratted her out to the state. The state took her first child. Her mother eventually ended up raising her first child. Um, she got pregnant again with a second child who was also taken. Uh, well, she wasn't taken by the state. She ended up giving it up for an adoption. And then she was pregnant with a third child that she really truly just didn't want. She wasn't financially stable. She was living with um, people months at a time. And so she volunteered to be the plaintiff in this case of Roe v. Wade. Now, <laughs> what I will say is I really feel like my girl was kind of a sacrificial lamb. Um, and, you know, luckily she was, you know, she volunteered to do it. Um, but if you think about it, Sarah Weddington actually knew where this woman could get an actual abortion but couldn't tell her where to get an abortion. Um, and so, you know, poor thing, she she ended up having this child and ended up having to give it up for abortion, but it's still... Well, when you said sacrificial lamb, like, I feel like with any of these big movements, there's always that, you know, like, like I think of Ellen DeGeneres a lot with um, gay rights and movements because... You know, she tried to come out on our show, or she did come out on our show, and, you know, her career was busted. Like, you know, so, like, she took so much hate and death threats and all kinds mm -hmm. of shit. But eventually, thank God, you know, it ended up opening. So I feel like we always have to have that sacrificial lamb, which I hate it for them, but I also want to thank them. Absolutely, you know? because without that person, um, you know, we would still be where we were, although we're apparently trying to go back to where we were. But yeah. you know, where we whatever. were slash where we are? Yeah, <laughs> that. Okay, so let's talk about, oh, so we've already mentioned that Jane Roe, where that name came from. Just want to also make clear that the Wade in Roe v. Wade is Mr. Henry Wade, who was the Dallas dis uh, District Attorney at the time. Um, and, of course, it's his job to legally enforce the laws. Because that's what they do. So may I ask, and this may be jumping too far ahead, and if so, let me know. But one thing that I learned today, <laughs> listening to some podcasts, um, and I can't remember what all I listened to, but I did screenshot them. So I'll put uh, the um, references mm -hmm. in, in the summary of the show so we would give credit where it's due. But um, they were talking about how courts could have dead fetuses as a witness. Like, so someone is there representing the fetus. What? Yeah. No. Yeah, we may need to give that a goo because I may, I may be. Yeah, uh, let's we, let's let's get into that because that's because here I am imagining something like the Muppets where they've just got <laughs> no, no, but it, uh, yes. with a fetus. Yeah, but no, it's um they they oh, will allow <laughs> they will allow someone to come in and speak for the fetus, the, the fetus, and I. Which is There's another part that this fits place in, and it might be too soon for this, but, you know, in some states, you would have, women would have to go in front of doctors and, jur and judges, I guess, to 
explain to them why they felt as if they should have an abortion and it would be approved or denied based on like are you covering that any no i'm not going to cover that any but i know what you're saying it's it's similar to what we were saying with the georgia state law right so in cases of rape in cases of you know health or whatever the case may be if it was a case of you know your health you know that's easy the doctor can can go before the courts and say hey this is why we have to do xyz um in the case of rape yes you still had to go and it wasn't like oh hey i've been raped let's get rid of this baby no mm. you actually had to go before someone and they had to make those decisions yeah. that's why i meant why when i said maybe you get a chance to get an abortion. You don't, you know, it's not a guaranteed yeah. thing. It was because you had to still go before a court or someone who was appointed um, to make that decision on your behalf. You know, and today, like I had such punch in the guts, in the gut with a few things because I'm a man. And so there obviously is a lot of things that I can't relate to with, you know, a female. And when hearing this woman speak today and given the examples that she did of how a woman's body and a woman's sex life is always managed by everyone else but her, mm-hmm. you know, and I just hearing that was just so crazy to me. Well, and it still is the fact that, that we are, I think who, who what was it said that, um, you know, we're, ta- we're over here arguing about whether women should um, be able to have an abortion or not, but we're not going to argue whether a man should be able to take some kind of enhancement to get their dick up, you know, right. those type of things. Like if that's the way that we're going to argue, then, then no, you shouldn't be able to take those things. It's God's, you know, purpose that your dick couldn't get up. Sorry. Right. <laughs> Yeah, um, if, if that's the way that we're going to argue yeah. things. But um, let's continue on. So Miss Sarah Weddington, um, she was able to get bo- get before the courts at the state level in Texas. But they actually had, but what they did at the state level is they actually had this federal court system in which they had a three-judge panel. And these three-judge panels will all decide, you know, some of these cases. So what Miss Sarah actually argued in front of this three panel judge was that the law that was written in in texas let me back up a little bit the law the abortion law in texas that was written was written in the 1800s okay and so what her argument was is that those laws were not there to protect the fetus those laws were put in place to actually protect the woman because getting an abortion in the 1800s was very dangerous Mm -hmm. every piece of documentation that she could find always referred to the woman as the victim. So even though she sought out a abortion, even though she participated in the abortion, even though she signed off on the abortion, she was considered the victim. They didn't treat her as a criminal. So even if she participated in all of these things, she was never arrested as a criminal what they did was go after the actual doctors who did this. So her argument was that there's nowhere where we can find that this law, the original intention of this law was actually to protect the fetus. It seems like because she is labeled the victim that it's there to keep her safe, to keep her from dying. Okay. Now, where it got really interesting for me is, is Mr. Henry Wade apparently was not prepared for this argument. Um, so basically they asked him 
at one point. Well, do you know what the original intention of the law was? And he he couldn't give a good answer. He All he could say is, well, I, I can't fathom that it would only be to protect the, um, the, um, the life of the, the mother. Um, I, I mean, I would also assume that they meant to protect the fetus too. And because he couldn't give a definite answer, um, they basically stated that, you know, hey, this goes, you know, to Sarah. Like, hey, she's won this one. The problem, however, was that for whatever reason, and there is no clear reason why this was done, um, they never issued an injunction. And because they never issued the injunction, um, that pretty much gave um, Mr. Henry Wade the space to say that, well, regardless of, I'm still going to persecute or prosecute anyone who decides that they want to go get an abortion. But that being said, it allowed Miss Sarah to actually appeal to the Supreme Court. And so that takes us to the next stage of the story. This is intense. It is intense. I'm like on the edge of my I know. Seat, I'm not saying anything because I'm like <laughs> <laughs> so ready to hear what else is coming. <laughs> right. So, which is crazy to me, though. The fact that they agreed with her, but they didn't issue an injunction. That just uh, an injunction of relief. That is still is really weird to me. But it's like creating a loophole. It, basically. Yeah. Basically. All right. So. Miss Weddington goes to the Supreme Court. Can I ask a question? I yes. don't know if you know the answer to this or if I'm just not understanding the answer. When this all began in Texas, did she have the intention, has she said that she's ever had the intention of taking it further and taking it to, like, fight the entire United States? Or was it just solely no. Texas? It was solely Texas okay. in the beginning. She did not, I don't think there was a single person involved um who was prepared for for how far for how far it would go and the fame that they would receive because there were people who absolutely loved her there were people who were ready who who were sending her threats Mm -hmm. not just sarah but also um our jane roe uh norma mccorby because you know how dare you and so even the district attorney was not prepared for the amount of eyes that would be on this particular case because at that point most of the states um, did not allow for a woman to just go get an abortion. Right. There were um, abortion laws in just about all 50 states. So um, on to the Supreme Court. So by the time this made it to the Supreme Court in 1971, Norma McCorby had actually had her baby. And as I had said previously, the baby was given up for adoption. Now, the um they tried to um the uh excuse me the district attorney tried to render the case moot simply because you know she already had her baby like she's no longer a plaintiff but sarah was actually um smart enough to file um file it as a class action which is pretty brilliant to basically say that hey this lawsuit um is um for all week all women who are seeking abortion in the state of texas um, and that way they couldn't just say, okay, we're done. We're over with. So, um, you know, this was her first, you know, case that she actually got to argue. And my girl is doing a bang up job. <laughs> <laughs> and she, when I was listening to her story, I was like, holy shit. Like no one will ever have a story like that about me. No one's ever going to be like, remember when David had that one chance to talk, but 
She did. Like, she's just brilliant. Right. I mean, like, very first time, like, she's, she's, she's prepared. I will say, and that was the thing that I found most interesting with her, is you had these district attorneys who had all of these resources and things of that nature, and they just were not prepared to make factual and well-researched arguments. Um, and Sarah, on the other hand, my girl was, she was ready for them. So, um... Let's talk about some of the arguments that were brought before the Supreme Court. So we already know that she's already stated that she felt like the reason um, that the laws were were placed on the books were simply because it was for the safety of the mother, right? She has basically stated they, as the law is written, the mother is considered the victim. So that's argument number one. Based off of that alone, she felt like, well, these laws are null and void at this point because it's much safer to get an abortion because we have had so many medical advances. That, however, was not enough. So one of the other arguments that she made um, was made in a prior court case. So there is a court case called Griswold versus Connecticut. And I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail here, but basically what came out of that particular court case was that whatever happens um, between a married couple should kind of stay between a married couple within reason, especially when it comes to reproductive rights. So this is how we got, get to the point of where you should be able to take contraceptives, mm-hmm. right? Without the government getting into your business. Like that's basically like there is no compelling interest there. Why does it matter if we take contraceptives? Why does it matter that we take something to control birth, so to speak? So her argument was that because of that um, court case, and also just so that you know that also gets into privacy, right? Because it's your private life. It's, you know, they shouldn't be bothering to get into that. Her argument was that that case that law under the 14th amendment should be broad enough to also fit abortion simply because at the end of the day you are still dealing with a woman's reproductive rights right do you mind if i ask when did it become okay for it to for everyone's business to be exposed you know like like if they're if they're saying that that you know what happens between a man and a woman should say between like when was it when was it approved the opposite i'll wait um right (laughs) because because another thing that i found very interesting is women controlling their menstrual cycles started at the beginning of time like like those thoughts never really occurred to me obviously but women were able to control whether or not they would uh, reproduce since the beginning of civilization by using like wax or lard and mold it into a cap to mm-hmm. seal off their cervix. I didn't know that. Well, honey, back even back in the, so you think about Italy, right? There was a lot. We found all kinds of gross, like sheep intestine condoms. from like, oh, sure. right. Now the wax and the lard, I was kind of like, Ooh, but now that. Like, <laughs> contraception has always been a thing. It has. I mean, they even back in the day, even had plan B's. Like there was stuff that you could drink. I mean, there's all this stuff. Right now. Yeah. With this all coming out, people are digging into like Ben Franklin's like almanacs and his like medical guides that he wrote back in the 1700s that have, 
recipes on like how to I don't remember how he phrased it but basically like how to induce an abortion like it was in field guides that he would write like I mean that's been around forever and ever and that's not even forever ago right and so the question that I had in mind was you know if these women in the beginning of time figured out how to do it and was successfully doing it then when did it become an issue to where someone had to try to say, oh, this isn't right? Um, well, I 1776 think was- would be my guess. <laughs> <laughs> I get what you said. <laughs> that's, that's the year I'm going to put on. The, well, <laughs> even though they you. may have felt that way in 1776, apparently a lot of these laws came to be shortly after that in the 1800s. Um, but... Do you think there's a difference to call out in the way that they were doing their contraceptives? They were taking things in the way that doctors tried to perform because doctors apparently were like, let's just rip the shit out. Let's go. Um, and that was, again, why Sarah's you know argument was that these laws were put into place to actually protect the woman, not the other way around, not to protect the fetus, so to speak. Now, do we actually know the real reason why they put these laws into place? No. But my girlfriend figured out because they called the mothers the victim that, yeah. you know, it could mm-hmm. be assumed. But let's move forward a little bit. And let's talk about the 14th Amendment um, section one a little bit just because I want to read this um, out to you guys so that you can kind of understand where her third argument lies. Okay. So Amendment 14th, uh, the 14th Amendment. Now it says all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of the law nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protections of the law. Okay? So, and the reason that I wanted to read that um, is for a couple of different reasons. Okay? The first one is, if you'll notice, the very first part of the sentence says, all persons born. Okay? And so, what Sarah's other argument was, is that under what guise does... A fetus have constitution constitutional protection. Well, because I mean, because, if you read that word for word, right? Because yeah. because I the way my mind worked with it is you always people always say while you're pregnant, you know, with child or unborn child, and then when the child is born, it's the birth of. So to me, it would be when that child took its first breath outside of the womb that would be born. Or here's the other thing. Now, I will say the courts tried to squeeze in there um, at any point that you could consider a fetus a person, then there would be compelling interest here. Okay. But because you, there's nothing that has treated, and this is what Sarah mentioned as well, there is no place in the law that has ever treated a fetus as an actual person. Right. Right. And so, therefore, there is no constitutional protection. Now, if we could ever prove that a fetus was a person, 
then we would be in a different place. And then what you would have is competing interest. And even then it would be something that the court should look at because the competing interest would be my life versus this child's life. And I don't think under the circumstances that we are in currently that the courts have, have even taken a look at it from that perspective at this point. Right. Um, and so, I mean, and that's getting into a whole nother bag because again, we haven't even gotten to the point where someone has been able to say for sure that, Hey, a fetus is a person. But if we were ever to finally say, you know what? hundred percent, a fetus is a person. Then it shouldn't be, Hey, let me write this opinion piece and let's change the law. It, that's not the way that this should go down. One of my questions that I have written down, and of course, you know, we all know the answer to it, but I'm wanting us to to explain it to, you know, have it fresh on people's minds, especially now that you're reading the amendment. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between human rights and constitutional rights. And I think people forget that sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, Kelly, would you like to talk? You haven't got to speak any. Like, what? Like, and, and I was just picking on you. You don't have to talk. But, like... <laughs> Like, what, what is the difference to you all, I guess, between human rights and constitutional rights? Well, well, the first thing, first of all, the constitutional rights are what what is ever written on that piece of paper. Right. Right. Now, part of the place of a judge is to try to figure out what the original intention is of what was put down on that piece of paper. Right. Um, in some cases, reading in between the lines. Now, it doesn't mean giving my personal opinion on what I believe, right? Based off of my upbringing, my religion, and all of those things. Their job is to interpret what was originally there. And I think that's another thing that people forget. So, like, for example, when Kentonji Brown was being, you know, grilled, um, you know, when she was, you know, going through her confirmation process, one of the things that she said is it's these things that you're asking me, it doesn't matter. She kept on saying, I can't answer this question. I can't answer this question because it doesn't matter what my own beliefs are. I have to figure out what the original interpretation of the law is. And that's what the Constitution is for. The problem is, is we are so far removed from when that Constitution was originally written that people try to insert whatever they want. Mm. And I want to be honest with you. If we want to really go down this path of the Constitution, (laughs) because you're getting ready to get me fired up. I don't know that we should be using the people who wrote the Constitutional as ambassadors of morale. I'm sorry. You know, people who said that, you know what, it's okay to own slaves. Matter of fact, they're not considered people. Not thinking that they should probably be, you know, our ambassadors of morality. Just going to put that out there. Right. So, anyway, continue on human rights. Go for it. Sorry. (laughs) Just that. Well, no, but, but, you know, it's like you, you hear all these people say, well, this is my human right. And sometimes they are right. Sometimes it is. Or, but what I find in a lot of cases is when we're like, oh, this is my constitutional right. And a lot of times that's wrong. Like people don't know how to separate the two. No, I mean, and, and I get it because a lot of people, first of all, haven't read the entire constitution. I will be first to say, I'll be one to say that, hey, I've not read the entire constitution. I have read enough to piss me off. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's <laughs> <laughs> I've run it out to piss me off, then I set it down. And I was done. <laughs> All right. So, 
um, let's talk about this. So the 14th Amendment. So she uses the 14th Amendment to pretty much win her case. Basically, what they agreed to was that a fetus is pretty much a person, not a person. Um, they, if they ever were to deem that it was a person, then yes, we, then we would have to look at whether they had protection. Under the 14th Amendment, we would also have to look at competing interest in the fetus versus the mother who's actually carrying that fetus. Now, also wanted to take this time, since we're talking about whether a fetus is a person or not, to talk about a little bit of biology. Because there are people who have went out there to say that a fetus is a person upon conception. Now, while it has been many years since I have been in college, and it has been a while since I have opened up my bi biology um, book, I would like to argue with those people and tell them that they are wrong. <laughs> it is not a, fet a fetus is not a person upon conception. It doesn't work that way. No. First of all, conception is just that sperm finding its way to the egg, right? And mm -hmm. fertilizing the egg. That's the first thing. That's conception, right? Even after that point, we are still not a person. You know what happens next? That cell divides divides into two. It eventually divides into four. Guess what? Eventually it divides a hundred more times until it becomes a cyst. A cyst. You know those things that happen when you get uvarian cysts and they try to remove them? That's what happens. You cannot argue that there is that a fetus is a person upon conception. Just wanted to put that out there into the universe so that everyone understands that that's not the way that it works. Right. There is cell division that occurs. There is DNA still unfolding to even figure out what genes go where. What genes are we going to show on this child? All of that has to happen. It does not happen upon conception. So just want to put that out there. <laughs> and I will let you guys <laughs> add to that. But I'm no, sorry. Talk about yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Like the, I knew I was going to learn a lot with with this, and I was so excited to hear Kiana talk about it. And we're not even—we're just now—we've just barely touched it, right? Oh, we're just barely and, scratching the surface. And and just so that I'm—let me be clear to you. Let me—I believe the official term is it's called a blastocyst. Somebody might want to get on the Goog on that one. I believe it's called a blastocyst, just to be a hundred percent accurate on what happens. Yes, there is the potential of life there, but there is not necessarily actual life yet. And we all seen it. If if you've seen the movie uh, Look Who's Talking, we all know. We, you see the sperm no. going. And <laughs> anytime that I have this kind of conversation, I always think of that movie <laughs> because of that. But Kelly, how are you? Oh, I'm great. How are you? <laughs> Sorry, I, I feel like I've done all the talking here. I've just been telling no, you guys. No, this is, I'm so this is great. Yeah, by the history of this. Because I figured what would happen is you would state out all these facts, and then we would end up having a conversation about it. Um, so no, it, I think it's beautifully done. But like, where do you all stand I mean, with this so far? The the conversation about like when does a fertilized egg become a person? I'm just thinking about Elle Woods. Um, she went to Harvard Law School, yes. uh -huh. and she was discussing like why now? Why this sperm? Like if yeah, you know if if a guy's gonna ejaculate and it's not seeking an egg, then that's reckless abandonment of a child, right? By your logic, right? I mean, yeah, it just 
Now, and don't get me wrong, I do feel like at some point within the womb that there is a human that happens, right? Like, I, I would, you know, and of course, now we're going to get into my personal opinion. So I just want to make this clear. This is not my biology hat on. This is just my personal opinion. To me, unless that child that is developing can survive with very little intervention outside of the womb, then we're not talking about an actual person. That's just, that's my personal opinion. And I'm not saying that, hey, we've got to get to month eight. And so I'm saying that, hey, with very little intervention, if if it was a premature, you know, birth or whatever the case may be, if that baby can survive outside of the womb, okay, I'm with you. It, it, it's therefore a person. But we're, we're at the point where we're still splitting cells and dividing and nobody knows what, there's not even brain, brain function or a heart or any of that. Please stop. Yeah. And I think this will be a pretty cool place, um, if you're comfortable enough and don't mind. Uh, but a couple of weeks ago, you and I had a conversation of when, because there's a lot of religious stuff added to this, which pisses me <sighs> off. Um, but you and I at work one day was talking, and you're like, you know, I, I dug myself into a rabbit hole with this. I want to know where the Bible, you know, stands on this, if that's what... And you told me a pretty interesting story. So what happened was I was on TikTok of all things. Yeah, I know I'm old and on TikTok, um, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, And there was a gentleman who was pretty pissed off with the Catholic Church um, because his wife had had a stillborn child. And he had asked if the um, priests there could baptize um, the child because in the Catholic faith, faith, if you are not baptized, um, your, your soul is pretty much doomed, right? Um, and he was turned down because the baby never breathed life, right? Um, baptism is for the living is what he was told. And so that sent me down a path. Now, what I will say is, I don't know that that's the practice at every Catholic church. Um, so I don't want to put it out there like this is what's happening everywhere. Right. This was based on the story that the man on TikTok gave right. about his and situation. I, right. And I have ha- heard that happen in other places. But my husband, who is also Catholic, says that um, that they do have some leeway there where some may go ahead and baptize just out of pity or whatever the case may be. But a lot of times they will tell you no. Um, so, but anyway, so wow. that sent me down a rabbit hole to figure out where in the Bible does it say all of this stuff, right? Since we are so hell bent on it being a religious thing. Now, also want to preface this with, hey, the Catholic Bible has more chapters than the one that's for the ones that are people who are Protestant. Just want to put that out there. I'm looking in a Protestant Bible. There's less books of the Bible there. My husband has repeatedly pointed this out to me. (laughs) So, but when I went down this rabbit hole, the only thing that I could find was in Genesis when God was creating Adam. And one of the things that I found fascinating was that it talked about God breathing um, breath into Adam's nostrils. And after and only after he breathed breath into Adam's nostrils, did he breathe the breath of life. And what that said to me was, until you have breathed air, life, that is when you actually live. That's when you're a living human being. Now, 
I'm not saying that, hey, let's go have abortions all the way up to term. You're getting ready to have a baby. Let's have an abortion, like, you know, two days before it's born. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying that if we want to bring religion into this, Adam was not living until he breathed. That really stood out to me when you told me that story because everyone wants to bring religion into everything, even though you're not supposed to. My relationship with God is mine, you know, and and I, okay, I'm going to share a story with you all that happened to me yesterday and it. It's fitting as far as the religion, right? I had even expressed to uh, Kiana um, a couple of times during some off-the-record conversations that I have found myself getting very resentful toward God. And I have to actually reel that in and realize it's the organized religion that I'm getting that resentful angerness to. So yesterday, my partner, Cody and I, we went and we both bought new cars. Well, Tennessee just recently um, changed their license plates and we both had the older license plate. Yeah. And so um, there was something asked to me that was never asked to me before. And they were like, you know, we will mail you um, the the new license plate. Uh, Do you want to say in God we trust? Or not. It took until the year 2022 before we were given the choice. I think that's reprehensible. But continue. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. No. No, I'm glad you chimed in. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that I want to call out about that is I almost don't like that. I don't either. And here's why. Because now I feel like by them giving you a choice, they've also given a way for them to track whether you believe in God or not. Oh, I don't give a shit. I know you don't, but what I'm saying is, right, no, 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 and I get that, and I, and I totally get that, but what I'm saying- But you're right. But, but, but yeah, no, I agree. But, but, but now I have to put on paper. Mm-hmm. Because here's yeah. what the Christians, and here's, here, okay, the scenarios that went through my mind in just these few moments while the car salesman was just staring at me, like, what's your answer, dude? Just pick yeah. yes or no. But what went through my mind was, Christians want to say that you should not deny God. And kind of like what you were just saying, if my license plate does not say in God we trust, then I'm denying God. Well, and now, and now, and now I'm an I know. Abomination. And now, and, well, and now I know it. Now, now I've given, I've now put out another reason to discriminate. That's what my problem is. That, yeah. And I agree with that. And so my immediate instinct was yes, put it on there because I have a relationship with God. But then I realized that, that whole like, quote, is born and created and from and connected to this organized religion that I cannot fucking stand. And so I chose to not go with it. And it hurt me a little bit, but I don't have to have some stamp that tells me if I believe in God or lets other people know that I believe in God because I feel like it's my relationship it's for me to have, it's for me to love, it's for me to cherish, and for me to blossom and grow with. And it does not, I don't give a damn what you believe in, Kelly or Bailey. I want you all to believe in something that gives you comfort. That's my only wish for you. Well, and here's the thing. So bringing this back to the whole Roe v. Wade thing in religion, 
I find it interesting that we want to holler, holler all the time, freedom of religion, freedom of religion, when there are other religions that... Other than Christianity. Christianity. And right. they allow abortion. So, like, for example, in the, Jew, you know, um, in the Jewish uh, religion, for the safety of the mother, if, if there is something that... They are allowed to have abortions. In fact, it's encouraged. Like, you don't put one life before another. Well, and and I love that point, too, because, and this is me kind of asking you for educational purposes, even though I think I already know that, even though I'm pretty sure I know the answer. (laughs) But that whole, like, in God we trust, it's for, it's Christian-based, right? Am I wrong with that? No, it's definitely Christian-based. In all of we trust, or, right? Right. So that was although. Hey, uh, first let, let's let's talk about that too because I'm going to tell you. You just brought up a point. I know you didn't mean to bring up the point, <laughs> but you just brought up a point that really aggravates me too. So we're going to veer off Roe v. Wade for just a moment and talk about a little bit of religion and the word Allah. Allah just means God. Pure and simple. If you are born in the Middle East. Regardless of whether you're Christian or whether you're Jewish or whatever the case may be, you're Muslim. Allah is Allah, regardless of. And it makes me crazy that we try to make it seem like, oh, their God is different. No, that's just the word. Well, they believe in Allah. It's God. It's God. Also, let's back up a little bit, too. Again, going down this road, (laughs) the Torah, the Quran, the Old Testament, or at least the first five books of the Old Testament that we would say, they're all based on the same story. Why is it that we point fingers and have such hate toward Kiana, Kiana. Okay. Um, white people? <laughs> <laughs> I'm white. I have a gorgeous tan that I just bought, but paper shows I'm white. And God bless me with mine, so. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll, I'll concede to that. I'll leave it alone. Yeah. I mean, that's why. I mean, it just dumbfounds me. Like- well, and, and to and to go back to, to my license plate thing, and then I can be done with it, but what if I would have said to them, I don't want to say in God we trust, I want to say in Allah we trust, or in Buddha we trust, or whatever I call my greater than. It would have been able to. It would not have happened. No. It wouldn't have fucking happened. And there should not be that. You know, like, because like you said, there is more than just Christianity. If this is America and freedom of religion, then I should be able to have the relationship that I want with whatever higher power I believe in. Or no relationship. Or no. My choice. And 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 what I want. And I know this is a little off topic, but people will say, oh, they're atheists. That means they worship the devil. That is not correct. No. People say, oh, they're atheists. They're bad people. That is not correct. That is not correct. Like, I need people to actually research what an atheist really is. And by the way, there is there are people who, who worship Satan and they are... Forced. And from what I hear, the Church of Satan... Is it the Church of Satan or the Satanic? Whichever the satanic, one it is. Whatever. That, like, donates all their money and, like... Yeah. They're just about being... Well, I told, I told you the story, and I'm not going to say names just because this is very sensitive, but actually, I'm not even going to... I'm not even going to give relationships, but I know someone who went, who, who was transgender and was born in Tennessee um, and went off to college and was very much welcomed by a satanic group. And he, um, now he, 
Um, you know, not that they ended up, he didn't end up joining the group, but one of the things that he said was, you know what, I'm thinking about it because they're very welcoming. Mm-hmm. Like, right. they actually welcomed him as he was. Um, and, and again, I'm not for worshiping Satan and things of that nature, but it also makes you, it makes me sad for Christianity. Like, yeah. Because maybe you should stop and take a look in the mirror. Your phone is recording everything you say right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just saw it. It started listening to you. It was recording you for the FBI. Yeah, I was. I was gonna say like, are there trigger words for our Apple <laughs> phone or our phones? Now? Apparently, it is probably recording me, but. Maybe stop and take a look in the mirror and realize that part of the reason that people are running away from organized Christianity, religion, is because of how you treat people. Yeah. You're supposed to look upon people with love if you really truly believe in Christ. Um, without judgment. It's not your place to judge. Pluck the damn log out of your own eye, as the Bible says, before you start judging someone else. And it makes me sad because I believe I'm, I'm a believer, but I too have, n- I want nothing to do with organized religion. I just want nothing to do yeah. with it because at the end of the day, what am I getting myself into? It's almost like a cult these days. Right. right. You can't accept people unless they're this, this, that, or the other. And if you are part of this place, then you have to behave like this, this, that, or the other. Regardless of the fact that none of us are perfect. We all have flaws. None of us um, are going to get it completely right. It's just not the way that it works. I mean, that's part of what makes life beautiful is that we are not perfect. We are doomed. And with us being doomed and with all of our flaws, it makes life worth living. If everything was perfect, it would be boring. God loves variety. Anyway, we went on. This went way off rails. (laughs) Way off. This did, and I may need to take a break because this whole time I thought I was perfect, and then I just learned today (laughs) that apparently I'm not. So, no, um, I thought this would potentially need to be a two-parter and we have already been recording for an hour. So I think this will be um, a good place to stop for uh, episode one and then um, we'll pick right back up with episode two. So um, Kelly, we we haven't heard much from you yet, but we're going to. (laughs) Bailey and Kiana, thank you all for being here and uh, we'll be back next week with uh, part two.